appreciate the singing out this morning. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. We just read a few moments ago. And um, Dan wanted me to echo uh, that he uh, misses not being able to be here this morning with you all. Um, being having to run off as he did. But uh, it's a great uh, gift to be able to uh, fill in and help someone in that, in that kind of emergency. Because um, it's hard to just throw someone up on the stage and say preach. <laughs> um, and so uh, very excited that he got to be able to do that. But he wanted to echo his his feelings with missing you guys this morning. And uh, somebody, I won't, I'll, I'll leave him anonymous, somebody whispered and said, look what time it is, it's a good thing Dan's not preaching today. And so um, I was like, well, he'll appreciate that. Um, and so uh, Mark chapter 10, um, and I just want to echo a few other things. Uh, thank you, Steve, for sharing. That seems like an incredible ministry opportunity ahead. Uh, I appreciate their innovative mindset and thinking through what they can do despite um, even some dangerous situations they've been a part of. Many people would probably just cower out and stay out and not go back. Uh, but it's just an amazing thing that God's given them boldness to be able to do that. And uh, what a mission we get to partner with and uh, truly be a part of in that way. Uh, I want to read our text again, and then uh, we're going to jump right into our message this morning. Uh, verse 13 of Mark 10 says this, And they brought young children to him, that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. And when Jesus saw it, he was much displayed. It is a simple message. Uh, a simple message. That's what we see in Scripture. That's what the gospel truly is. It's a simple message that we've been given through Scripture from God to share with those around us. But would you agree that some things that we call simple aren't always so easy? Um, recently, uh, last week, actually, I got to sit down in a, a man's office, and was, he was an unbeliever, a non-Christian, and he, we had a conversation about different things, about some business ordeals, and then we started con- conversing, and he said, what do you do for a living? It's always an interesting question when they ask me or Dan that, or anybody who's a pastor, because it goes one of two ways. It's either immediate shutdown, we're done talking, or it brings enlightening and aw- awesome conversation. And so I was like, well, <laughs> no, I told him I was a pastor at Northside Baptist Church in St. Albans. And he said, oh, wow, that's awesome. And he immediately started apologizing for things that he had said or things that weren't so kosher. And I was like, no, 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 like, this is not, we're not like that. Um, but uh, it was just a unique opportunity. But it led into a 15 to 20 minute conversation about the gospel, the simple reality of who Christ is and what he's done for us in our place and the hope that he wants to bring to our lives. And it was a, I walked away just encouraged that um, someone asked a question and was willing to follow that up with a conversation. Well, I, I, I mention that because oftentimes we have situations like that arise in our lifetime. Maybe you don't answer with, I'm a pastor, but you, they might ask you, why do you act the way you do? Why do you live the way you do? Why is Sunday from 10 to 12 blocked off on your calendar? Why are those things important to you? And we come in contact with questions, and we're called to give an answer. We have an obligation to share Christ to share the gospel when those opportunities arise and when we can bring those things in. I share this again because um, I am not so awesome at this. Uh, I'll tell you a story. When I was 14 years old, uh, I was in youth group. I was in ninth grade, and our youth group was going through this um, evangelism course by a guy named Ray Comfort. And uh, Ray Comfort is this, like, New Zealand awesome accent. Uh, he's now 70s. He was probably in his 60s when I was or 50, uh, upper 50s when we were doing the course. And um, he had some, in, some intense, strict things about sharing Christ with other people. And one of the things was in the course is that you would go after watching these eight or ten videos and talking through some questions with the instructor or youth pastor, and then you would go to a public place like a mall or wherever and just 
interact with strangers. How fun, right? Uh, and go share the gospel with them and tell them about Jesus. And so let me just paint this picture for you. Um, I was 14. I was about eight inches shorter. I had a mop of a haircut. I wore a graphic t-shirt with baggy jeans because Slim Fit wasn't uh, introduced yet to me. And so and I'm wearing my black. I can just imagine. I can see it. I'm wearing my black and ones from Walmart. And I'm walking around the mall scared as I, you just picture this. Stay off my mom's Facebook page for all you who are curious. Uh, you can just picture this scene coming forth. And uh, so I, I, I go and find this stranger. Stranger and a grown man, kind of scary looking, honestly, walked up to him. And I was like, here you go. He said, what's this? I said, I don't know. I walked away. <laughs> I, was, I was scared. I was scared. And those, those opportunities sometimes are terrifying, especially at 14, but they can still be terrifying at 25. They can still be terrifying at 35, 45, 55. We might not always have the right response, but let me tell you someone who does, and that's Jesus. And we're going to see in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark here this morning some interactions. These are two kind of separate passages that tie in together as a nice contrast with uh, Jesus blessing the children and the rich young ruler, as he's oftentimes referred to. And so this morning, I want to see that Jesus helps us see the simplicity of the Gospel, but yet the difficult reality of the narrow way of following Christ. Our big idea this morning is the message of the gospel is a simple one, and we must come to Christ with faith like a child, with nothing to offer him but our full dependence in him. We must come to him as we are, but we cannot stay as we are. Our first point as we jump in this morning is the gospel must be received with childlike faith. This statement jumps out as we see what's taking place. These young children are being brought to Jesus, and the disciples rebuked them. They jumped on them. They were like, what are we doing here? They were treating them as insignificant. They were thinking there's greater things at hand than having these children interrupt our travels and what was taking place. Uh, last week was a heavy message with a lot of good truths on divorce. Maybe they were thinking, that's important. This is not so much important. We're dealing with real adult-like issues, and we're trying to get on our journey. And so these young, these mothers and these fathers are bringing their children to Jesus, because who wouldn't want to bring their children to come see Jesus? And they're rebuked by Jesus. And it says he was displeased. Guys, this doesn't mean Jesus was a little upset. He was very upset. He was righteously angry at, like, why are you shooing them away from me? They're doing the right thing. They're bringing their children to me. Why would you discourage that? If I said, hey, don't introduce your children to Jesus, she'd be like, what are you talking about? That's the thing we ought to be introducing our children to. Jesus was displeased. And then he makes this statement. Suffer them not to come unto me. Forbid them not. And he says this, for of such is the kingdom of God. Now, that phrase to you might be like, okay, what does that mean? Jesus is helping us realize the value of each individual made in the image of God, and they hold the exact same worth, the exact same value, and they're welcome into God's kingdom. There's no insignificant child. There's no insignificant person. And yet, the disciples were acting as the Pharisees, as the children would have been a nuisance or a distraction to them. But Jesus didn't echo those same thoughts. The value Jesus places on each individual made into the image of God. They're little image bearers of Christ. So whether grown or young, 
Jesus reveals that we're of equal worth and we're of equal love of God, equally worthy of Christ's love into our lives. Saturday morning, uh, this, this kind of came up abruptly. I was uh, up with the boys, uh, Benny and Colson, and I was, we were watching shows on the floor, just playing with them. And Benny walks up to me, and he's carrying a book, and he, he likes to bring us books and sit on our lap and have us read it to him 25 times, okay? And that's just kind of what he does. Um, and so he brings me this book, and he plops on my lap, and the book that he brought me couldn't be any more fitting for this message today. The book read this, Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago. Let me go back. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me, this I know, as he loved so long ago, taking children on his knee, saying, let them come to me. Jesus loves me still today, walking with me on the way, wanting as a friend to give light and love to all who live. Jesus loves me, he will stay close beside me all the way. He has bled and died for me. I will henceforth, henceforth live for thee. Children love to hear about Jesus. <laughs> he, he brought that book to me, and he probably heard his mother read it to him countless times. And I thought, what a picture of what we're reading today. Bring children on the lap of Jesus to hear and to just be around and encompassed with him. That is what that song is giving to us. He says, for such belongs the kingdom of God. Let me clarify, clarify this. That does not mean every child is automatically saved and received into the kingdom. It simply, they simply have to receive Christ just as we do. But it doesn't mean they're insignificant. But they can have faith too. I know I, I was saved as an eight-year-old boy, and I know many in this room came to Christ at young ages. And it doesn't matter whether you come as a young child or you come as an adult. It's a celebratory, it's exciting, it's an amazing thing because we're welcome to come to God at any stage of life. The only quantifier there is, is you know you're a sinner and that you know you need a Savior. You know that you have to repent of your sin and believe and trust in Jesus Christ. As I was thinking about these parents bringing their children to Jesus, I thought of a prayer that I've prayed numerous times, I'm sure parents you have, and your grandparents you have as well, and that is praying, God, save my children at a young age. Save my kids at a young age. I can't tell you how many times I've thought holding our babies as newborns, praying they don't face the struggles I've gone through, and that they trust Christ at an early age, they avoid a bunch of mess in their life and know Christ fully. And so salvation is available to all ages. All conversions deserve this greatest celebration because guess what? Once one has been delivered from sin and its dominance, and made new in Christ, that is life-changing. That's life-altering to themselves and to those around them at times. And one thing I was reading this week by commentators said, children have their whole lives ahead of them. We should desire to do our due diligence to teach them, instruct them, so they can have the greatest impact for Christ in our life. Pray for your children. Pray for the children who run by you at church. Pray for the children uh, that you teach at church, that you minister to in some way. Pray for the babies you hold and help in the nursery, because guess what? They are significant in the eyes of God as image bearers of Christ. Pray for them to come and know Christ at a young age. Again, this passage is teaching us more and more here, get your children submersed in Jesus Christ. Get them around even the preaching on Christ, the teaching on Christ. Get them singing about Christ. 
and praying in his name. Danny Aiken, a uh, professor at a seminary and a commentator, says this, There are several ways we can consistently and actively lead children to Christ. We can evangelize them with the gospel-saturated home. We can disciple them with a Bible-saturated home. We can pray for them with a prayer-saturated home. We can encourage them and bless them and challenge them. And we must absolutely model for them a Christ-intoxicated life, letting them see that living for Jesus is the normal ebb and flow of life. That there is nothing outside or different, but we know Christ and we're following him deeply. You might be wondering why I keep mentioning very similar things. It's, as a parent, as a grandparent, we are stewards of the very souls that grow up in our house. And so for myself personally, I have two little souls walking around my floor, the pitter-patter of the house that I hear every day. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm accountable to them, for them. And it is my job, greatest desire, mission to see them come to Christ as their Savior. And how can we do that? To show them Christ. Because you, get, you know what? I can't coerce them. I can't make them trust Christ. I can confuse them, but I can't make them. But what I can do is I can nurture a home and a model of the Christian life for them. Because one day, truly, they're going to stand before Christ, not with me or their mother beside them, but all alone. And they're going to be accountable to God for who they are, what they believe, and how they lived. And guess what? I can't come in there and substitute words for them to help them speak to God. But instead, they must face God for judgment. So my desire is to see them surrounded by Scripture, surrounded by prayer, by loving church members, by Sunday school or, or, or teachers in nursery or kids' ministry on Sunday nights, an atmosphere that points them to Christ so much that I pray the Holy Spirit convinces them that Jesus is everything in life because of what they see in their life, that there's no other way worth living than to follow Christ with their life. They're welcome to see Jesus. And God forbid... It's a hard statement. God forbid they reject Christ, but may it be our mission, may it be our passion that they will have no excuse because Christ was ever present before them. What a somber thing. Um, Charles Spurgeon's mom, one day he walked into her praying that he would, that he would come to a knowledge of Christ, and she was going to make it every effort. She was praying to God, begging God to save him at a young age, and him hearing her words convicted his heart as he heard his mother pray for him to be saved. And if he doesn't, that he'll have no excuse as he stands before God because she's going to do everything in her last efforts to make sure he is exposed to the gospel and to Christ. We must set the example. And there's never a kid too young to start. The Greek word that I'm not going to pronounce behind young children here means infants or little children. What a unique thought. Look around the room this morning or any Sunday morning and see the babies that are presented in the, in the, in the congregation. Sorry, moms. They're all looking at you now. Uh, but look at all the babies in the room. This is not just encouraged by us, but this is encouraged deeply by Jesus. He wants your children wrapped around, all around where Christ is preached and taught and sung about. And as someone who was born literally next to a church and was always in church, knows nothing different then Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and not even then, every morning, dedicated to Christ, living, following Jesus. There's a second phrase that's mentioned that I want to point out, 
in verse 15 says, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. He shall not enter. Jesus paints a picture. We have to all understand that the gospel is simple. It's simple enough for a child to understand it, to be convicted and understand they're a sinner, and to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for what he has done for them. Children are examples of how we enter the kingdom with childlike faith. Not childish faith, childlike faith. What does that look like? It's trusting God the Father, just as your son or daughter might come to you and trust their dad and leave all the problems up to them to take care of things because they don't have to worry about it. Trusting in the Father. Uh, Warren Wearsby says it this way, We tell children to behave like adults, but Jesus tells the, children, or tells the adults to model themselves after the children. <laughs> uh, I don't say this for everything, uh, but this for sure applies for salvation. Okay, We must come helpless but yet hopeful. Another quote I, I like from Danny Aiken is, Children come to Christ and they bring nothing but empty hands, which is appropriate because only empty hands can truly be filled. I love that thought. Because we must never make salvation so complex that only the most knowledgeable can understand. And at the same time, we must never devalue, devalue the realities that salvation brings about. The complex realities and promises and truths that we take part in. That should never be devalued. I love this quote as well. I'm full of quotes today. I'm sorry. Uh, the gospel, Augustine says, is shallow enough for a child not to drown yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Think about that. Think about that for a second. The gospel is shallow enough for a child not to drown, yet it's deep enough for an elephant to swim in. What does that mean? I'm going to break it down in layman's terms. It doesn't matter if you're in second grade or you have a PhD. The gospel message is not an intellectual achievement because it's not achieved, it's received by faith. It's the gift of God, as Paul says in Ephesians and I, I was thinking more uh, practically, have you noticed the baptism tank lately and the age groups that span from little children to teenagers to young adults to middle-aged individuals? It's not limited to one category. It's those who trust in Christ and the simple gospel that he has provided for us. And we only enter the kingdom simply by faith. Jesus wants us to understand that truth. That's not by achieving something, but it's by trusting in someone. Last quote for a few while, a little while. Jonathan Edwards. To help um, us understand that we bring nothing to the table, salvation is not something we work to get. We don't enter heaven because of how good we were compared to somebody sitting next to us in church. Uh, we aren't. We don't enter in that way. It's truly just a gift. And Jonathan Edwards helps us understand that by saying you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. I don't think there's a more humbling quote we can read uh, outside of Scripture than that one. You contribute nothing to your salvation except for the sin. So therefore, we come empty-handed, bringing nothing to the table. God doesn't look at you as his all-star, okay? He looks at you as his child. He loves you deeply. We bring nothing to the table. We come with faith and hope because John 6, 37 says, All that the Father give me shall come to me, and him that comes to me I will in no wise cast out. And that is Jesus speaking. Come to Christ as you are. And the gospel, again, must be received with a childlike faith. So I asked this morning, have you received Christ like this? Because if you're living and striving and trying to be something, if you're even looking at the Ten Commandments and you're like, if I just do these things, I am good. No, you must trust Christ. And then if you have trust Christ, how are you helping influence those who haven't? You say, I don't have children. You don't have to have children to pray for other kids. 
How, 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 am I, how am I praying for those kids that I see at church every week? How am I investing in the next generation to teach them and to show them Christ? Because that is a great need we have. So the gospel simply must be received with a childlike faith. And number two, this morning, the gospel must be received with an understanding of who Jesus is. I, I love how this passage plays for us. So we're, we're out of chapter six, or verse 16, and we kind of jump into a new narrative here in chapter 17, which is all, oftentimes known as the rich young ruler, or your Bible might say the rich young man. I don't know what it might say above it, but that's kind of where, the, where the, we're, we're starting out here. So it's kind of a different story happening, but it, it, it comes into play, and you'll understand here in just a moment. It says, and when Jesus had gone forth, again, he's traveling, there came a man running to him. Not just running, he kneels down before him. And he says this phrase, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And then Jesus said unto him, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, and that is God. And so I love this phrase, good teacher, because it has some meaning to it. As this man runs to Jesus, he asks him an incredible question, an incredible desire to have eternal life. What a great desire to have for your life, right? But he asks in an interesting way. He asks in a way that reveals he doesn't truly understand. He says, what must I do? That I might inherit. Just to, to remind us, Christianity is not a do religion, but it's a done religion. We are focusing and, and looking to the finished work of Christ. We believe what Christ has done on the cross is sufficient enough to save us. And scripture reveals that time and time again. And you might be saying, well, Christ hadn't died yet, Matt. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him righteousness. It's all been about faith in Jesus, faith in God. And so he didn't realize he had been striving, but nothing we can do can give us eternal life in our own efforts, in our own actions, in our own works. And even so, you cannot force an inheritance upon you, but you simply must receive it. And so Jesus responds, though, with a question of how he was addressed. He says, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Because there's none good except for God alone. Romans 3.10 tells us there's none righteous, no, not even one. No one brings righteousness to the table with God. So why does he say that? He's getting somewhere with this man Jesus is. He's showing that this man was truly an unbeliever. He didn't have faith because only those who have faith would realize that Jesus is God. And he didn't even notice that yet. He understood he was a good teacher or he was an awesome teacher or he was telling great things. But he wasn't believing in Jesus as God. He wasn't believing in Jesus because of what he was going to do in this man's place. See, it's not proper that this man addresses Jesus as good teacher until he's ready to acknowledge that Jesus is God and to give his life to Jesus. It's not proper. And so this man's asking the right questions to the right person, but he also addresses someone, Jesus as someone who would have faith would, but he doesn't quite understand yet. Jesus is God. He's the second member of the Trinity, just to make that clear. And we believe that here wholeheartedly, that if you know the Father, you know Christ. And all throughout the Gospel of John, you can read that time and time again, that the, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are three in one, co-equal together. So Jesus is not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a moral man, but he is God. And that is important because if he is not God, he's not fit to be the substitute. He's not fit to be the representative as our Savior. But as the 
perfect sacrifice on the cross, he had to be both. As a representative of mankind and as deity, he could take the punishment and yet overcome sin and death on the cross and through the grave. And so as we look at this, we understand that no one is good but God. And Jesus responds back to this man to let him know that there is no, none good but God. Helping him understand that he needs God <laughs> to be good. He needs God to truly understand salvation and to receive eternal life. And each and every one of us need God's eternal saving grace on our lives today. And we can't earn it. We can't do it ourselves, as mentioned before. But we must trust in what Christ has done. And so as we receive the gospel, we must have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. And so I ask, do you have a proper understanding of who Christ is? In practical form, does he have proper position in your life today? Is he being treasured and reverenced and praised and admired and trusted and obeyed, feared, esteemed? Is he sought after? Is he loved in your life? Because those things show us where he truly sits, whether on the throne of our hearts or it's just an accessory in our minds. Look at number three with me tonight, uh, this morning. It's not that late. Number three, the gospel requires you to abandon self-ambition so you can follow Jesus. Now, I made this point and realized there could be some confusion. So let me clarify. I am not saying you come to faith, uh, before you come to faith, you abandon your desires, but because of your faith in Jesus Christ and the new work that he does within you, you abandon your own self-fulfilling desires. Jesus begins to walk through this man, the commandments. I'm going to read those right now. He says in verse 19, You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And don't, don't forget, Jesus in Matthew 5-7 through 7 doesn't say just the actions, but even the thoughts of these things get us in trouble, cause us to stumble against the law and sin against God. And so these are known as the second table of the law because it's all about how we treat one another. And so he's attacking how have you been with other people first, okay? And for a moment, we might think Jesus is promoting this idea of just, just do these things and you're good. But that's not what's happening here. The man even says, hey, all these things I've observed from my youth, I've done well. I've been very religious. But what we understand here is if we throw ourselves up against the law, lay out the Ten Commandments. As each of these go on to address how we treat each other, or sorry, let me just go back. It typically does not take long for us to realize that we are guilty, and the scriptures reveal that if we're guilty of one, we're guilty by association, so we're guilty of them all. We see in uh, Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in the sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. And so the law shows us and reveals people's sinfulness and their need for a Savior. And that's what Jesus is getting at. That course I told you I took when I was 14 that I just rocked uh, uh, by Ray Comfort. He uses the law, the commandments, and asks random strangers. A lot of times it, like, he'll be on uh, different big uh, universities talking to college-age kids, asking them questions and evaluating them by the law to help them see, hey, I'm a sinner. I've messed up. I've offended God. And he uses that. And so Jesus, not that, not that Jesus got it from Ray Comfort, but Ray Comfort got it from Jesus. Let me make sure that's clear does the exact thing. He shows him the law. He shows him the law of Moses because he wanted to see himself as a sinner bowed before a holy God. And the law cannot save us. But the law is a mirror that shows us truly how dirty we are 
But unfortunately, the mirror cannot clean us or wash us. The law can bring the sinner to Christ, but the law cannot make the sinner like Christ. It shows us our flaws, but Christ does the work on our behalf in our lives. And so as this man boldly and confidently said, I have done these things from my youth. I am set. I'm good. He had a moral, he was a moral Pharisee indeed, but truly a lost man. Rich in wealth, but very poor spiritually. So Jesus continues on. Because once we realize, once we see the righteousness of God shed, shed, as it sheds light on the human condition, human righteousness, our own works and deeds, are seen to be no more than a thin cover-up for our, our own hostility towards God and lo- our love for sin because we want to please ourselves. Jesus looks at this man in verse 21. And if you get anything from this, understand this, this text here was for him, But this is Christ's desire in his look towards you. Jesus, beholding him, even in his confusion, even in his misunderstanding, even in his lack of faith, struggling, he loved him. Gazed at this man, and he loved him. And he said, there's one thing you lack. Go thy way, sell what you have, give to the poor, you'll have greater treasures in heaven, come Take him across and follow me. What I find interesting here is that Jesus doesn't focus on possibly seeing through possible lies that this man truly kept those things. When I read that, I thought, yeah, right, I'm a youth pastor. They don't keep, okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Kids don't always follow the rules. That was my first thought. But I thought, you know, Jesus didn't focus on correcting that statement as much as showing him that as he maybe has followed these things perfectly, he falls short of the greatest commandment from keeping, from loving the Lord thy God first, from making no other gods before him. And he says, you lack one thing. Go and sell, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven that's greater. Come and follow me. Obviously a real invitation to Jesus, to follow Jesus, to trust in Jesus. And yet the rich young ruler we see in a moment doesn't accept. Jesus offers, but what has to happen is this rich young ruler must give up what he has made a God in his life to give Christ that position as Lord of his life and giving everything to Jesus by trusting in him. This man has replaced direct trust in God and its reward being treasures in heaven with earthly riches. Therefore, like I said before, he falls short of the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, let me just take the ease off the room for a minute. This This is not every explicit command to every believer that give everything you have away. So if you're like, um, I've saved a decent amount of my savings account. Uh, what do I do with that? No, no, no. This is, not a direct, uh, this, is, this is directly to him. Okay? The principle is what matters. Uh, you don't, this is not for everybody to practically go and sell everything they have. So um, if you call me tomorrow, um, yeah, um, don't sell your house. Okay? Uh, keep your house. Um, <laughs> it's about the heart, though, being focused on God. That's what he's getting at. And every possession yielded to God. Jesus is and was and will always be God. And so as he was evaluating this man's heart, gazing him in the eyes, he realized there was one thing holding him back. There was one thing sitting on the throne of his heart that was greater importance even of Christ. And that was what he owned, what he had. Maybe in some sense this morning, this is you. You're giving the place of God to someone or something else in your life, and you haven't truly given Christ 
your, your, your entire self. Ask him to save you. Ask him to forgive you of your sin and to save you because of his finished work on the cross. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's what you need to give, that's the thing you need to give up this morning and give it, your life to God by trusting in Christ to save you. Because guess what? We can't leave undealt with idols on our heart and say we trust God and never give God that place. It doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. The sad story as he ends in verse 22 and says he was sad at the saying, he went away grieved because he had great possessions. It's super sad, but in a very practical sense to those who are Christians in the room, we might be like, man, this guy totally misunderstood. He didn't get it. He wasn't very special. That's not true at all. Because how many times do we Christians, even now, after conversion, put things in the place of God in our lives? We take things in our lives that have come up, whether it's job, maybe it is money, maybe it's things, maybe it's sports, whatever it could be. You fill in the blank, and it becomes the ruler of your heart. And before you know it, guess what? The things of God aren't as sweet as they used to be because you're giving yourself to things that are sour, and you aren't giving yourself things, things that are of God. Now, before you think too much, um, I love sports. I enjoy making money. Thank you. Um, I, there's things that like, we all enjoy in life, okay? But guess what? They're not preeminent. They're not the first thing. We played flag football yesterday. Clearly like sports. Clearly I'm competitive. But guess what? That's not the ruler of our hearts. It's about Christ. It's about giving him his proper position. Money, as Scripture tells us, uh, is not evil. But the love of money is the root of all evil, just to clarify. I, I love seeing God use Christians and use their stewardship and the blessing of God in their life to help ministries, to help uh, missionaries, to help with... It's an amazing thing. And God is, if God's given you great wealth, and use it for his glory. Be generous. Everybody should be generous, but be generous with what God has stewarded you with. And that's what he's trying to help this man understand, because... That is what he loved, was his money and his riches. And he really had to choose in this moment in front of Jesus who he was going to love more, who he was going to worship more, or what he was going to worship more, what he was going to be consumed by and really trust in. Because he had made his life about his possessions, about what he truly had attained from working. And so he walked off, it says, disheartened, sorrowful, sad, because he chose his things over the Savior of the world. It's a very sad verse to see that his life was still centered on himself rather than the kingdom of God. We see here, compared to the verse, first four verses we talked through in verse 13 through 16, that it's contrary to the childlike trust that Jesus permits or tells us to have. The rich young ruler relies on his possessions and his self-righteousness to inherit eternal life. He comes instead with full hands of his own self-righteousness, and he refuses to give up what he deems most valuable to himself. He walks away emptier than ever, more poor than he could ever realize. He might be rich in the world, but poor towards God has got to be the greatest poverty, form of poverty there could ever be, to deny, to walk away from Christ. And so as we think through this passage today, you might not be a rich young ruler. You might not even be an infant or a child. But there's implications here that God is trying to get, get, help us understand faith in Jesus Christ. So where are we today? Does Christ sit on the throne of our hearts? Does he have full reign in your life? 
Are we living with open palms or clenched fists towards God? Abandon yourself. Deny yourself. Mark 8, 34 says, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Refuse to be run by the sinful flesh that we're born into, but let Christ have you fully, holding nothing back, giving everything to him. And so as we reflect on the entire message in a few short couple statements and questions, this isn't just for one person. This is for all of us. As I was studying for this this week, I was deeply convicted about things that I could be more focused on, ways I could be more intentionally influencing others. And so number one, though, have you, re- have you believed the gospel as presented today, simple with a childlike faith, bringing nothing to the table but the sin, like Edward said, that needs forgiveness? Maybe you don't need a rebuke quite like the Pharisees. Maybe you don't like, dislike children or think they're a nuisance. But maybe you need to be more intentional about how Christ is taught, how he's demonstrated, how he's followed in your own household. You know, it would be very convicting um, if we had everybody's kids like line up on stage and like, what is your, like, and then just see where they're at, see what they see at home, right? I'm not, we're not going to do that. That'd be horrible for me too. Uh, we're not going to do that at all. But it would be very telling though of what they're picking up in their homes. Would you agree? It'd be very obvious that, hey, these things are standing out to me because kids hold everything in and unfortunately let things out. <laughs> um, and so where are we at today? Are you following Christ as he commands? Not giving place to idols in our lives, but giving him full attention. And I'd encourage you today, if you are outside of Christ, you do not believe in this simple message. Don't walk away sad like the rich young ruler did. Don't walk away sad. If Christ is not your Savior, if he's not your master, will you trust him? Because he looks at you with love, just as he did this rich young ruler and his confusion and his righteous deeds that he thought were going to be good enough. He desires you to come Take up your cross and follow him. It's a simple message with very deep realities, but simple enough for a child to understand. It's a deep enough pull for children not to drown, like I said earlier, and elephants to swim in. We're welcomed to take part in this faith by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. If you haven't, I pray you would. Let's pray together. God, we ask you today that you would help us to receive your word with meekness. We, we receive it well. We would think internally and not externally about the person next to us, but we would think about where we are. And God, we would evaluate our lives and see where we are. God, if, if someone in this room today, if there's just one singular person who does not know Christ, and they've been walking the tightrope of curious but not committed, curious but not giving themselves to Christ by faith and repentance, I pray that they, they, would, just, they would just jump in. God, I, I know we read this, this real-life account that took place, and we think, oh, wow, yeah, he was sad. But that same reality could be true if we walk away from you, not responding to the message, the simple message of the gospel. God, I think about the other applications this passage has for grandparents and parents and, and those that are influencing kids and teaching kind of roles, that we have a great responsibility, and we must steward that well. And God, I thank you for the faithful, faithful families in this room that are trying and giving their all and raising their children in the nurture and admonition of Christ. And I pray that we would continue that 
and be a, a place where children grow up and see that these people care about us and they care deeply about Christ. God, help us to think through these things. Help us respond. Help us be bold in our response. And God, we just thank you for your goodness to us. We ask these things again in Jesus' name. Amen.